How are we? Did we get some sleep? Did you eat too much breakfast? <laughs> we're going to have a good morning. We're going to have a good day. What a rich time we're having. Don't you think with all the seminars, all the fellowship? I'm loving it. And just so you know, you've just sung the sermon. So God is up to something. You know when you sing the sermon before you hear the sermon? It's because God is up to something. He wants us to get something today. Um, so we're going to, the last song we just sung, we're going to sing it at the end so that you go out singing the sermon. Because um, I think God's up to something here today. I just want to honor the team here at EMI. I, what you are doing, what you are building, the culture you're setting here. And I, I, mean, I know I said this to you personally, but I, wanna, I want them to know what amazing hands you're in. You know, God's hands, but these, the team's hands here, the culture you're building here is beautiful and honoring to the Lord and cherishing of people and the valuing of your country. And it's, it's a beautiful thing that's going on here. And, and I, I genuinely believe God is just going to take you from strength to strength. So I commend you and honor you for what you're doing. And um, it's great. We will be cheering you on. It's really brilliant. Um, okay, I want to come to the word. We're going to jump in straight away. Um, to Nehemiah. So we began his story yesterday, um, a little bit of a synopsis. Um, Nehemiah was kind of displaced from his community of faith through persecution um, and through trials, but he kind of made the most of the circumstances he was in, yet he never lost his heart for his people. He never lost his compassion, and he never lost his movability in the hands of the Lord. So the Lord was able to get his attention and put a burden in his heart that he was able then to be moved to be part of a solution in a time of crisis, which was the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls for the sake of not only on Honoring the past and his ancestors, but making it safe for the future generations. Isn't that what we want to do? We want to honor the past, of course we do, but we want to make our country right and good and a safe place for people to thrive and find the Father and understand how much they're loved, right? So this is what Nehemiah was doing. So we were looking through chapter 2. Chapter 3 is all about all these incredible people who were serving in their families, men and women and children. And we're just going to jump over that who's done it um, and just go straight into chapter 4. And um, this is an incredible chapter. In this chapter, I personally interpret the way that we get a glimpse of the Father's heart for equipping us for works of good service. We get a glimpse into the Father's heart for saying, I am bigger than any battle you will face. So like we were singing, we might feel we're surrounded, but we're then surrounded by God. And you'll get that glimpses as we go through this chapter. So I'll just begin from Nehemiah 4. Again, I'm reading from the NLT. Um, it, it will come up on the screens because of these great people who press buttons um, and read at the same time, a skill I don't have. Um, okay, chapter 4. Sambalat, that's one of the enemies um, to Nehemiah. Sambalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can rebuild the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, 
Hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Just pause there for a second. When we read through Nehemiah's journal, which is what we're doing, I want us to be aware of the context that he was literally building a physical wall around Jerusalem. He was literally having people in his face mocking him. But I want us to interpret it and to translate it from the privilege of August the whatever we are um, in 2019. I want us to look in the privileged position of this. I want us to remember that we've had the Old Testament. We've had Jesus and we have Jesus. We've had the wisdom of Paul captured forever. And I want us to think of the enemies that we have, not in terms of human enemies, but in terms of spiritual enemies. You know, in Paul's teaching in Ephesians, he says, the battles we face are not flesh and blood. They are spiritual. So as much as you might have had an argument with your neighbor over your garden fence, or had a human kind of interaction that might feel like, oh, they're my enemy, I don't want you to actually think in terms of that. I want us to think bigger than that, if that's okay. And I want us to think in terms of the spiritual battle that we are sitting in now. And if you don't think you're sitting in a spiritual battle, I don't mean literally sitting, by the way, in this church. This is a safe space. But if you don't think that we, in this day and age, are in a spiritual battle, then I'm really sorry I've got some bad news. But the good news is I also have some good news. We are in a spiritual battle, and our enemies are not flesh and blood. They are not the politicians. They're not the neighbor. They're not the boss. They're not your mother. They're not anything of any human relation, but we have spiritual enemies. And just as Nehemiah was mocked, there is an enemy who would like to mock you. Who do you think you are to think you can build a church? Who do you think you are to think that you can share your faith with someone? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Do you ever hear these voices where you suddenly think, oh my gosh, who am I to do this? Who am I? Well, this is something that Nehemiah shows us something he did. Now, he prayed that these people would be taken captive by their own accusations. When Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, he was talking about taking thoughts captive and making them obedient before the Lord. We are living in a time, and we have to do this probably more so than maybe any other time, because we are bombarded with information, information, information all the time. If you have a smartphone, I guarantee you've probably clicked on a few sites already this morning and flicked around, and you've had influences already into your thinking today, let alone people you've spoken to or life that's just continuing. And we have to take our thoughts captive regularly. So how do we do that? Well, when you have a thought, you have to be able to pause long enough to think, okay, is that of God? Is it a good thought, an encouraging thought, a kind thought? Is it in line with the fruit of the Spirit? Does it bring good things? Does it draw me near to God? Or does it make me feel rubbish about myself? Does it make me feel like a worm? Does it make me hear the, who am I to think I can build this wall? And if you are getting thoughts that are negative, we need to take them captive and we need to take them to Jesus and say, Jesus, could you deal with this thought with me? Could you help me with this thinking? Because here, Nehemiah is encouraging through prayer that the Lord will take his enemies captive. And we know because Jesus went to the cross and said that it is finished, that our enemies really are captive. They just get out and get a bit wriggly. 
from time to time and try to throw their weight around and try to stop the work of the Lord from being continued. So let's begin to take our thoughts captive. Okay, verse 6. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites, heard that the work was going ahead, that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Let's just pause there for a second. Have you ever started something new? Now, I'm a starter. I love starting projects. I love starting teams. I love casting vision. I love starting a book, as in reading a book or writing a book. I don't care. I love it. Something new. I love a new journal. You know when you get a new journal and you open it and it's, the first page is clean and it's nice and it's just pretty and it's ready for anything. I love something new. But when you get halfway... Oh, I don't know, you know, can I start something else new now? You see, the builders here, they'd got halfway on enthusiasm. We can do a lot on enthusiasm, right? We can cast a vision, we can crack off onto a new team, we can start a new job, we can enter into a new relationship. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. But when our enthusiasm runs out, when it gets hard work, I am like these people. My tendency to grumble. Oh my gosh, must I do this again? Must I go to the gym again? Is there not a quicker way to get fit? Must I go again? Must I get up in the morning early again? Must I invest again in this relationship? Why can't we just cruise on for a while? Why does it need investing? Why must I do this? It's hard work. Anyone struggle from the halfway place. You know, in kingdom terms of eternity, I have no idea where we're at on our timeline, but we're not finished yet. Maybe we're halfway. Maybe Elam has got to where Elam is and we're at a halfway point. Maybe in your personal life, you're at a halfway point in something and you've got here on enthusiasm and it's been great so far, but now the real work kicks in. Don't give up. As I reminded you yesterday from Paul's letters where he said, you were running so well, what has stopped you? And Paul is also the one who says, remember, you know, I press on to take hold of what Christ has taken hold of me for. Christ has taken hold of each one of us for a purpose. And we have the opportunity. We don't, you know, like that we don't have to, we get to. We have this opportunity where we can say, okay, I'm taking hold of you for what you took hold of me and I am pressing on. Forgetting that which is the past, not getting stuck in that which is present, but keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. With every opportunity you put in my hands, with every chance that you give me, I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on. I am not stopping halfway. I am not stopping until the finish line is here on social media the other day. You may have seen this. There was this person, they posted one of those videos that had gone viral, and it was all athletes who were approaching a finishing line. 
And there were runners, and there were cyclists, and there were hurdlers, and they were all approaching their finishing line. And they were in number one position. And they were running, and they could see the finishing line, and there was nobody in front of them. And without exception in this montage that was put together, as they were running towards the finishing line, they began to celebrate, like, woo, because there was no one in front of them. And as they began celebrating and enjoy the moment, you could almost hear some laughter and some gasps because they were busy celebrating, you know, whoa, the finishing line is there. And other people came past. None of them who started celebrating before they got to the finish line were the first to cross the finishing line. It was a moment of both humor and tragedy. You didn't know if you were bad to laugh at them or, you know, you could do it freely. We must not stop halfway. We mustn't start coasting. We have an opportunity to press on and see something amazing happen. And um, we mustn't stop halfway. Okay, so the people were beginning to complain. We know hard work is tiring. But if you can find me a place where Jesus has said, life is going to be easy, bring it to me and I'll preach it on another occasion. Because it's not there as far as I have discerned. As we were reminded on night one, Jesus actually said, you're going to have some troubles. You're going to have some troubles. But there's good news for us all. Okay, so where did we get up to? I think about verse 11. I'm going to go from verse 11. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then, as I looked out over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Let's pause for a second. This is not my original phrase. I've heard this. You might have heard this. We need to stop telling God how big our problems are and start telling our problems how big our God is. We get so occupied with what is in front of our face that we forget who is above us, in front of us, behind us, surrounding us. We need to remind ourselves how great and glorious our God is. That is why when we come into worship, it's good for us as well as the Lord. He loves to hear his children praise him, but it stirs faith in us as we remember, oh yes, this is how I fight my battles. Our God surrounds us. However big your challenges, and some of you have got huge personal challenges. I know that. Not because I know that, but just because I know that. Some of us have huge challenges in our churches. Some of us have huge challenges in our workplaces and our private lives and our neighborhoods. But however big, remember how great and glorious our God is. We domesticize our God. We put him like a pet in our pocket that we just bring out when we need a little chat with something nice. 
But he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one who set this whole planet spinning. He's the one who puts the stars up there and knows their names. Tim's got this app on his phone, and we were on holiday recently um, in Croatia. Good place, highly recommend it. And um, we, you, there's a big sky in Croatia. Apparently, we've got a big sky in Watford. We just can't see it as clearly. But there's a big sky in Croatia, and he can hold up this app at the night sky, and it's kind, it's kind of like magic. It kind of attracts all of this, like it says what star formation is in that place. And you can suddenly see it, and you can hold it. So if I had it, and it was, I could hold it up at Josh, and whatever stars in the direction that he's sitting, it would show through him. It's like, oh, stars. It's really amazing. Jesus knows the names. He doesn't need an app because he put them there in the first place. This is the God who was faithful to all the kings and prophets and people of the past. Do you not think he's still faithful today? How great and glorious our God is we need to and we would be wise to remind ourselves and remind each other how great and glorious God is. Tell your problems. Tell your spiritual enemies how great and glorious your God is. Because what happened to these enemies happens to ours. Let's um, read on verse 15. When, I love this, this is, this is just like hilarious comedy moment. Love it. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. I have no idea what the enemies were doing other than... But they, they were found out. They were found out. And so we just cracked on, said Nehemiah. So verse 16. But from then on, here comes wisdom. Are you ready? But from then on, only half of my men worked while the other half stood guards with spears, shields bows and coats of mail the leaders stationed themselves behind the people of judah who were building the wall the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon all the builders had a sword belted to their side the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That, was, that way they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. Right here is Nehemiah's secrets for success. Right here is his live ready motto that saved his lives and enabled the completion of the work they began. They never took their kit off. No skinny dipping. They never took their kit off. Church, we need to put our kit on. 
so that we can't take it off again. Now we remember what Paul said. We're not facing physical enemies in the same way that they were in this context. We are facing spiritual enemies, which of course they were too, but we language it and understand it differently. They are not, we are not facing physical, we are facing spiritual enemies. Our armor is not physical. You do not need to come in you know, with clunky, clanky stuff that you can't move. You need to be and have the opportunity to be armored, weaponized men and women with the belt of truth holding your weapon, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I know there are 500 million um, preachers in the world, more or less, um, and some of us have written devotionals, and we love to encourage people into the word. But this is not to sell books, and this is not to fill pews. This is to save your life. And this is to enable the wall of whatever God is calling you to build in the church and to transform the communities that are in to save other people's lives. You see, we have this amazing resource. And God is saying, use it, love it, cherish it, keep it with you in you, around you, accessible to you. Never take your kit off. Why? Because enemies will come in. At the minute, the times that we live in, they're interesting times because truth has become relative. Have you noticed that? Well, if it's true for you, well, if you're happy with that truth, keep going. But actually, that is not truth because truth has to have an absolute, right? I don't mean in terms of a legalistic, bash people around the heads with it. I mean, and ultimately, there is a truth. The truth is that Jesus has died and risen from the grave to set us free. The truth is he is a great and glorious God, bigger than any of our enemies. The truth is he loves us and has got a purpose for us and wants to love everybody. The truth is he came to the whole world to set the whole world free, not just a few, but everyone. The truth is he is ruling and reigning. The truth is he is good and kind and faithful and pure. The truth is everything of him can be in us and released through us to her help a hurting world there is truth that sets us free and there is truth that flowing through us will set other people free but we have to know the word if I can cast your minds back for just a few moments some of you won't be able to go this far back you're too young but many of us can go back so January the 6th 1999 um, it was a Wednesday and where I was, it was raining. In fairness, it was probably raining here too. Just hazarding a guess. Um, but on January the 6th, 1999, I was um, told by a doctor that I had secondary terminal cancer. So I had a lump in my leg removed just before Christmas, and the results were in, and I was told I had secondary terminal cancer. This was not the news any of us were expecting. I had a one-year-old daughter. And from all senses and purposes, I was relatively fit and healthy, just that, oops, I was dying. But I hadn't been aware of that. So this was, you know, this was a shocking piece of news to be given at, to anyone, um, and I was definitely shocked. In a minute, I'll tell you whether or not I died. But um, what happened was um, the Lord spoke to me. You know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? We do sometimes have to have a crisis in order to go to our knees. It would be much better if we prayed at all times, like Paul says, so that we're just always ready in that position. But, but anyway, there was a lot of pressing in. There was a lot of praying. 
And God very kindly spoke to me. And if you remember these words that Nehemiah said, he says, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord is great and glorious. Well, the words that the Lord said to me at the time were also from the Old Testament and sounded very similar. And they were the words that he spoke through Moses. You'll remember this. Moses was at the Red Sea. He just led all the Israelites out of captivity, came to the Red Sea, and the the, Israel, the Egyptians behind him had changed their mind at releasing them, and so were in hot pursuit. So Moses came to this place, and it was like, which would you like to do? Would you like to die by drowning, or would you like to die by sword? Because it's kind of, this is where you're at. And at that point, God spoke to Moses, and God spoke through Moses. And this is what Moses said. He said, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. When the Lord spoke that to me, you know, nothing against Egyptians, but I really liken the Egyptians to the cancer. And um, I've got some Egyptians friends. It's always awkward if I tell that story in front of them. But there's, um, the Lord spoke to me and he said, okay, Helen, just stay calm. I'm going to fight this for you you will not see this cancer again. So I began this journey with doctors. I had to have further surgery. The type of cancer wouldn't respond to radiotherapy or chemotherapy, so they didn't give me any other treatment. They just rechecked the area. It was in my leg. They went back, did further surgery, checked it hadn't spread. And then they said, okay, now we're on the primary search, because it was a secondary. I was told I was good. And I said, well, you know, it would be good to look. Please look. Thank you for looking. I'll take the look, but I don't think you're going to find it, because God has said we're not going to see it again, which means you're not going to find it. I think at this point, the doctors would like to have referred me to a different type of doctor. <laughs> um, and just were like, okay, Mrs. Roberts. Um, but they looked, and after 10 years, they said, well, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not there now. They took 10 years before they were willing to even say that. But there is a point where God said, okay, I know this is big, Helen. And for me, that was one of the biggest battles that I had faced up until that point. But however big this is, I am more great and glorious. And what I say goes. And I've not finished with you yet. Just stay calm. The trick in some ways is knowing what battles are ours. And what battles are actually the Lord's. What do we not need to fight over? And what can we just stay calm in? You'll remember the story of Jesus in the boat. And Jesus was in the boat and the storm was brewing and the disciples were having a panic, which is hilarious on one level because they were fisher people, fishermen. They would have had storms before, but it clearly shows the severity of the storm was more than they were used to, more extreme. And they were very much aware that this is a bad one. We're going to die. But Jesus was calm and sleeping. Not because he was, you know, comatosed out and so exhausted that nothing would rouse him. Just because, you know, he could stay calm because he knew how great and glorious his father was. And he knew that some things were the father's battle, not his. And so he could ride this storm. Obviously, the disciples woke him up and then he said, okay, if this is too much, let's calm this storm. And don't we often want that, Lord, please calm this storm, please calm this storm. And he will. On many occasions, calm storms. But the point is, however big the storm is, God is more great and glorious. And if we keep our eyes on him, 
we will get through. Jesus hung on the cross, endured that pain because of what was ahead. He kept his eyes ahead to know why he was on the cross, that there was a hope coming. And you know what his eyes were on? His eyes were on the Father. And his eyes were on the Father with you. He saw the relationships restored between us as children of God with our Father. And we were enough to keep him on that cross. So we can take hold of what Christ has taken hold of us for. And we can stay calm and know what battles belong to the Lord. Now, there's an important little bit that was in this passage in around about verse 19. Nehemiah was aware that the work was spread out. So there were gates and there were towers and there were kind of houses and building parts as well as all of this wall. And there was a whole work going on that was vast, not dissimilarly to the work, may I say, of of Elam in Ireland. Like the work is vast. You're all spread out and you're all busy building and, you know, armed and guarded and building at the same time in your areas. But I'd like to liken the trumpet call that Nehemiah asked for um, with maybe even flow, with what is going on here. There are times when there will be like a clarion call, come together, come together, come together, because there is a strength in our togetherness. What is going on here in this conference this week should never be underestimated. There's a a powerful thing that happens when we are united in our worship. There's a powerful thing when we're united in our fellowship, with our fellowing in our ship, (laughs) when our coming together. There is something significant when families recognize their families. So across churches, when you become friends across churches, and you know this person from this town, and you know this person from this town, and you increase your prayer capacity for one another and as a movement. There's a powerful thing when leaders come together and have friendship, not just function, not just kind of a job description and responsibilities, but actually we're mates together we're friends together we'll genuinely love one another we'll genuinely pray for one another I add the genuinely because you know let's be honest there are so many times when someone will say something oh I'll pray for you do you because when they're a friend you will when they're a friend you will carry that burden with them but if it's just a passing comment oh sure I'll pray for you we get busy with our own battles So friendship is actually really powerful in the hands of the Lord. The the wall that Nehemiah was building was built with people. And when in verse um, 14, he says, you know, it's the Lord's fight. He's the great and glorious one. But you stand here, you fight here for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I guarantee if you mess with my kids, I'll take you down. I'll I'll say sorry later if I hurt you, but you mess with my kids, I'll take you down. We need that passion for one another so that when our enemy comes with it, you mess with my friend, I'll take you down. Do you understand? There is something powerful that says, okay, we're all on the same team. And when this trumpet calls, come, just come. I encourage you, I don't know the dates of next year, but I encourage you to find the dates of flow. I'm sure we'll be told. Do we know them already? I'm just putting an administrative challenge on there. Ooh, 
I'm sure it's known. Get the dates in your personal diaries. If there's a chance to book in, book in. Go back to your churches. Tell everybody, we have an amazing opportunity. We don't have to do this. We get to do this. We can come together. We can increase our family. We can increase our friendships. We can get to know one another. There are people who will stand alongside for us, pray with us, believe for us. There are people who will champion us. There are people who will remind us how great and glorious our God is. We need to be together. So let's put it in our diaries. Tell everybody. Get. I don't know how what the capacity is here, but fill it. I think that overflow would be fun to see flowing over when everyone's together in the place of worship. Go for the challenge. See how many people we can make cat organize. She's not in the room. Oh, she just came in. She's now going, what happened? Just amen for cat. <laughs> so there is a coming together. There is a coming together. Nehemiah, I'll just do the spoilers for the stories. Nehemiah did go on to complete the wall. And the beautiful thing of the story as it unfolds is once the wall was completed and once kind of the safety of the people and the restoration of history and the establishing of the future was established, everybody came together around the word of the Lord. There is a gathering around the word of the Lord. And there's a beautiful bit, there was a weeping and a wailing because there was a sudden recognition from people. It's like, we haven't done this in ages. We haven't gathered around the word. We haven't been in the word. We haven't been doing this in ages. And they all start crying. And it's like, oh, Lord, we're so sorry. Forgive us. And then you get the beautiful sentence that comes out. It's like, stop crying. Stop right now because we're going to be feasting. We're going to be celebrating. Why? Because the joy of the Lord will be your strength. The joy of the Lord was what kept Jesus on the cross. Well, the joy of the Lord is your relationship with his Father. The joy of the Lord will be our strength, that we are saved. We are on an eternal timeline that has no end and no limit. We have the resources of heaven at our disposal. This is the joy of the Lord that is going to be our strength. Now, I know you have battles. I know you do. But the joy of the Lord will be your strength in whatever you are facing. And that doesn't mean to say you will always feel strong. But it will mean you always know the one who is great and glorious and strong. In whatever you face. Whatever you could ever face. And I, I would love um, the band to come up because we, we need to finish on time because otherwise everyone else, you know, falls out of time and then I'll get told off. <laughs> We're going to come back to that song about this is how I fight my battles. I want to encourage you to do whatever you can to go deeper in the word of God every day. To get to know the word of God. To realize the weapon that can be belted to you. That can be within you. I want to encourage you to remember how great and glorious your God is. And for that you might need to be asking every day. You might need to say to the Lord, show me more of your greatness and glory. See that which is bigger than that which is right in front of your face. However surrounded you feel in difficulty and challenge. And if you're not in difficulty right now, great! But I'm sorry to say, at some point it's going to come. 
you know, not to prophesy doom, just we live in a world where the devil is roaming and strolling around looking for opportunities. And the more armed and guarded we are, the more dangerous we are, the more he'll try, but the less opportunity he'll have. Did you hear that? The more armed and dangerous we are, the more kingdom territory we're taking, the more he will take a pop, but the less opportunity we will, he will have because we'll be armed, we'll be with each other, we'll be sword and working. We'll be armed and dangerous. This is how we're going to fight our battles, yes? Okay, why don't you stand with me? We're just going to sing the sermon now. I want this to become your hum. I want this to get in your head and in your heart. I want this to just be the prophetic statement to our churches, to our towns, to our cities, to our villages. I want this to be our cry. This is how we fight our battles. It's not our cleverness. This is the Lord's battle, and we are surrounded by him. Are we good with this? Let's see if the roof can be raised.